Greetings and salutations. Hi. I'm Josh Belcher. Get the super sauce. I'll change into my super suit. <laughs> this is Uncharted. Greetings and salutations, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls of all ages, shapes, sorts, and sizes. Thank you for ta- thank you for taking the time. Sorry, I got tongue twisted there. Thank you for taking the time to tune in to the Josh Belcher Uncharted podcast. I'm your host, Josh Belcher. Uh, we've got a great uh, lineup this week of guests. We have the greatest bass player of all time, Mr. David Hood, one of the Swampers from Muscle Shoals, Alabama, owner of Muscle Shoals Sound, and he also was a session player for Fame Studios there in Muscle Shoals. Look his name up. Look at the long list of hits the man has played on. Uh, very legendary. Uh, couldn't uh, couldn't be more excited to have got to speak with him. Great thrill. He was very kind and funny and uh, just enjoyed it very much and hope to uh, continue and maybe meet him one day and go to his studio and take a tour with him. That would be really really awesome uh, also we've got zach strum who actually played david hood in the upcoming aretha franklin movie respect that's coming out in early 2021 he talks about his experiences playing david and getting to meet david and all the stuff he's got going on he's also a musician a uh, director uh, young fellow's got a lot of stuff uh, going his way uh, it's been a pretty great week for me. It kind of uh, went by slow, but it wasn't unproductive. It just felt like it dragged. I uh, had a little issues with my back, a little tweak there in the lower back, and I've uh, been going to the chiropractor. Uh, first time I've went where I wasn't adjusted, getting popped with this little machine that you know sounds like a, they're pressing buttons on your back, like bing, like you're in an elevator. But anyway, uh, making me feel better. Um, actually went and worked out for the first time in three weeks this week kind of slowly acclimated myself back into that got to get that going back on because i'm an eater and if i don't exercise then i just blow up and get bulbous i look like i have a tortoise shell on the front of my body instead of the back i get really disproportionate but anyway enough about me hope you're having an awesome week thank you for tuning in and let's get this party started we're going to talk to an awesome musician uh, a legendary musician and a up-and-coming awesome musician, music director, and actor extraordinaire. That's all up on the Uncharted podcast. Here we go. Thanks. First up this week on the Uncharted podcast, he was ranked the 27th greatest bass player of all time by Rolling Stone recently. But to me, he is the greatest bass player that ever walked the planet. That'd be David, a little David. You know him from Muscle Shoals, Alabama. He was one of the Swampers. He's played on so many hits, I can't even name them all. I don't have enough time in my life. But anyway, was kind enough to talk with us here on the podcast about his ranking in Rolling Stone, uh, how he's still actively uh, doing session work as a bass player uh, from the history of Fame Studios and his own studio, Muscle Shoals Sound, to the new movie coming out about Aretha Franklin and uh, his experiences uh, meeting the actor that played him, who is also on this week's podcast. A great human being, a nice person. It was truly an honor to speak with Mr. David Hood. That's coming up right now. So excited for you guys and myself. I I fanned out a little bit. I'm not going to lie. David, uh, first of all, just wanted to say congratulations on uh, your ranking there in the Rolling Stones. The 50th greatest. 
Um, yeah, you know that—that's all kind of bullshit. But I—I I, I appreciate <laughs> the mentioning my name. Uh, I thought it was kind of funny that I was listed as number twenty-seven, and one of my favorite bass players uh, was one, n- number twenty-eight. Oh, Family yeah. Man Barrett. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> but uh, and there were some great bass players who weren't on there. I mean, it's just—that's that, an impossible thing to to rate people like that. But I appreciate being mentioned. The picture they put in there. I looked like I was about 27, so maybe that's how they came up with that number. <laughs> Age for the number, yeah, sure enough. Yeah. <laughs> I, I agree with you. They, it's hard to pick 50 of the greatest, but, uh, I mean, deservingly so, you definitely have to be in the pile. You're one of the greatest that ever played it, so. <laughs> but, um, sir? Yes, sir. Uh, I was going to say, uh, uh, first of all, I uh, fell in love with the Swampers and fame and, and, and Muscle Shoals sound and everything with the documentary, just like many other people do. And I try to head out there and see it about once a month. <laughs> and uh, I finally got to get into your studio there, Muscle Shoals Sound, um, you know, because they had it close for COVID. And, uh, just really enjoyed the tour and, and, and liked what they had to say about you and the fact that, like me as a musician, uh, you didn't smoke and you sat over in a corner. And I bet, you know, in the 60s and 70s, it was the smokies all get out in there. Well, they uh, it was. Uh, everybody smoked but me back in those days. Uh, <laughs> cigarettes, I mean. Yeah. And, uh, I mean, it was just a bit light one from the previous one that would go all day. But uh, I didn't smoke uh, tobacco. I did smoke a little pot every now and then. <laughs> but uh and 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 they didn't really do that that much um yeah was, we were actually a pretty straight bunch <laughs> yeah well you know from all the things i've seen you guys took your recording very seriously you know uh trying to make sure that you uh you know captured the sounds of the artists and everything and rightfully so i haven't heard a song any of you guys ever played on it wasn't just a smash and you know i'm, I'm collecting vinyl so I, I get 45 as well i just got one in today of brown sugar oh really all yeah. right Yes, sir. Um, and then I uh, I went in there, and one thing that was cool, I was uh, fumbling through your gift shop there, and sure enough, your jackets were sitting there. <laughs> I thought, isn't yeah. this jacket? And they were like, it sure is. I was like, wasn't that cool? Well, they, you know, I've got a, a lot of stuff. I mean, a lot of stuff. I've never thrown anything away. And uh, <laughs> I got to thinking, well, you know, somebody might get some enjoyment out of seeing some of these things, and so I'll, I'll bring some things in. Uh, uh, I'm always finding something. I've, I've got. I'm looking at my stereo in my living room. Mm-hmm. The speakers that are in here, I put together in 1966. The preamp wow. I got in 1966. Uh, you know, I just, I when I find something I like, I I, I hang in there with it, <laughs> and it I, all works. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah, and and some of that stuff from uh, way back then, it, it truly stands the test of time. It didn't like you know stuff you get nowadays. It's plastic and will deteriorate if you you know use it too much. Yeah. Well, you you know you can't even go buy a, a stereo preamp anymore. Uh, you go in a electronic store; they don't have what you what we call a stereo. I mean, they have all this stuff, but it's not what I would call a traditional stereo. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I agree. Even uh, I bought a uh, couple of weeks ago a Victrola, one of those record players that looks like a little small suitcase you carry around. Right. And it's got Bluetooth put to it, so I mean, it's nothing like it used to be. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah. I, I think Bluetooth, I think Bluetooth is kind of cool, but you, all those new things they don't sound as good as the old things. I mean, you, nothing sounds better than a vinyl LP or a 45. Yes. Yeah. Uh, 
you lose some stuff somewhere. I'm, I'm not, I'm not tech, technical enough to be able to know what, how we're losing it. Things aren't like, you know, they, they don't sound right. Yeah, everything, things nowadays, they want it pumped out so fast. You can't, I mean, with a record, you just almost, you got to take your time to enjoy it because, you know, you, you could scratch it. And, I mean, there's so many, it's, it's really a delicate uh, item, but, I mean, if you take well care of it, they'll stand the test of time. Right. What uh, uh, One of the main things I was wanting to get a hold of you for is I'm intrigued about this uh, Aretha biopic, and I talked to Spooner, and he told me you guys got to go out there and check it out. I just want to know what your thought was about uh, seeing you guys on the big screen, I'm assuming, for the first time when it all comes out. In the, you know, it's going to be it's, – it's exciting. It was fun to go over there. They they were shooting in, in Atlanta at a, huh. a, a film studio over in Atlanta, and they what the, the day that we were there, they were shooting – what was supposedly the day that Aretha was at fame in, in Muscle Shoals. Mm-hmm. And uh, they did a pretty good job. And the guy that was playing Jerry Wexler, uh, Mark Maron, uh, you've probably heard of him. He does interviews and podcasts and stuff. But he, he nailed Jerry's Jerry Wexler's uh, uh, accent pretty good. Really? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And the and the lady that's singing that plays Aretha's part, she is great. I mean, she's she's a star herself. Yeah. Yeah, Jennifer Hudson's her name. Yeah. Yeah, right. And they were, they were, couldn't have been any nicer. They were just really nice. I uh, I it was weird when I knew I was going to go the night before. I got deathly ill. Oh my! I was really sick, and I thought I want I'm not going to be able to go. I got up the next day and said, "Well, I'm gonna go anyway." And, and I was, I was lucky. I was, I was good all that day. But then when uh, I got home, then the next day I was sick again. I don't know what I had, what it was, but at least it gave me a break long enough to go experience that and see that film, the filming. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's uh, yeah, amazing. It's gonna be a great thing. I talked to several of the actors. I, uh, I haven't got to talk to Mark Marin. I talked to uh, Sam. Uh, 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 Watcher to play Rick, right? And I talked right. to I talked to David, uh, the guy that played Spooner, and uh, the kid named Zach that played you. I'm trying to hunt him down for an interview. He's he's a hard one to find, <laughs> but uh, you know I'll catch him for too long. Uh, what did you think about him? Did you get to spend any time with him? Yeah, I got to talk to him for a, a little bit, and they're they're really talented guys. And he that guy could play the trombone. He he really he wasn't just acting. He was really he he could play. Oh wow. And that was your first instrument, right before you uh, got introduced to bass. Well, I I took some piano lessons when I was in the fifth grade. And it, that that didn't really take, but I I tried it for about a, a few months. But the trombone was what I played in high school and first couple of years of college. And uh, I I soon learned that I better learn how to play something else if I wanted to make a living because trombone players you got to be really good and they, they don't. I don't get that much work. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, the only time I see them after marching band is like the skirmer horn here in Nashville. You'll you'll see a couple of them in the mix of that. Yeah. Um. Well, let me. Uh, I was going to ask you. Uh, uh, they told me during that tour that you you of all the swampers, which is there was there three of you left or four. You're the one that's still you're still doing session work. Yes, I am. Uh, Roger Hawkins, the drummer, he's alive, but he's in pretty poor health, and so he doesn't go out. He never leaves his house. Really? Uh, and we we lost Jimmy Johnson a few months ago, and Barry Beckett, I guess, about ten years ago. Yeah. 
And then, yeah, I'm, I'm I'm the only one who's still doing anything. Yeah, well, you must you still got it in your soul. You still love it, then, huh? I sure do. Yeah, getting yeah. harder. I, I will say it's getting harder. <laughs> really? Uh, just well, just, I'm just, or what? Just arthritis. Yeah. You know, I'm I'm 76 years old, so I've got 76 year old uh, man's problems. But I'm, yeah. I'm I'm in pretty good health, and I'm, I I would be playing now if we could if we could get out. Yeah, I hear. You. Uh, and you're gonna have a birthday in September, right? Right. 21st. Yeah. I hear. You. I was born October 8th, but not too far behind you there. Um, yeah. Well, your birthday and Roger's birthday is very close. Well, Nate, and we're both drummers, except he's a real good one, and I just pretend. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, 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 he he wishes he could still play. Uh, he hasn't played in years, but he he was great when he was. He was. Yeah, I, you know, I don't play as much as I'd like to, but you know, it never gets out of your system. There'll be times I'll be in the in the vehicle driving around, I'll be tearing the steering wheel up, not even knowing it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's a, it's once you start doing it, it's like a disease you can't get rid of. Yeah, <laughs> that's the absolute truth. Uh, what? Um, so, do you prefer do you prefer session music, or did you ever like touring? I know you toured with Traffic, but which one did you enjoy better? Well, I, the studio is what I really enjoy. But when I was uh, in let's see, about 2014, I guess I did a recording session in Nashville. Uh, I thought it was just going to be with a singer songwriter, a guy named Mike Scott. It turned out it was the Water Boys. And uh, uh, we did an album called Modern Blues by the Mar- Water Boys. And uh, when we finished up, they asked if I'd play some shows with them. And so I toured with them for about two and a half years off and on. And uh, the reason I did it is I thought, well, if I'm at my age, I don't know if I'll ever get another chance to do something like that. So I, I did it. It was rough, but I'm, I'm proud of myself for doing it. And it was, it was a great experience. Mm-hmm. I was in about... 18 different countries. Oh, wow. Golly. Got to see a lot. Yeah, I I thought it was, you know, talking about performing and everything and how, you know, muscle shows and and, and the area and everything, and people just like staying at home. And every time I go, I go look for a house. I'm thinking my next move is going to be out there, either in Sheffield or Florence or somewhere. Well, uh, (laughs) if, if you get in town sometime, Give me a ring, you know. I'll, I'll meet you at the studio or something. Oh, uh, if, be you know, once once this uh, COVID thing slows down, and I hope that will it will soon. Yes, sir. Without a doubt, yeah, I'd love to hang out with you and, and hear hear some stories. Like I said, it's uh, the greatest. Uh, you know, living in Columbia, Tennessee, which is about a little. Under I know where two, Columbia is. <laughs> yes, sir. A little under a few hours from from fame, and then it's just like my home away from home. I just I can't get there quick enough, and. You know, every time I go through the, the tour, I learn something different. And when you go in the studios, you just feel an energy like nothing else on earth. Even the studios I've been through in Nashville don't have the same feelings. It's like when you get there, you just feel a spiritual, just a power like no other. Well, good. I'm I'm I'm, I'm glad. Yeah, and it, it's, it's an amazing place. So, um, what was I was just see what I have here for it? Yeah. Um. What was your favorite song you ever played on? You've played on so many, but is there any that ever just struck a chord with you? Because they're all pretty righteous. Uh, well, I enjoyed working with, with the Staple Singers an awful lot. Mm-hmm. And uh, and there were a lot of things that we recorded that you've never heard. You know, you know they were, they'd be really good, but they weren't a hit, so nobody else would hear them. Mm-hmm. And uh, there's a lot of things like that. I, I uh, did an album with the... Uh, 
the Roach sisters, uh, Maggie and Terry Roach, uh, called Seductive Reasoning. It was on Columbia, uh-huh. and uh, we we cut that at uh, Muscle Shows Found, and I ended up being the producer on most of it because nobody else could deal with them. They were kind of difficult to deal with, and, and soon as we as soon as we got the album done. It was time to go out on the road and promote it. They decided they didn't want to do it anymore and, and just dropped out. Really? Uh, they they eventually got back together. Uh, there was turned out there was three of them. There was, I only worked with two of them, but there were three of them. And uh, they had a, kind of a semi-hit later on, a couple of years after me, three or four years after me. And uh, I've talked to one of them. There's only one of them that I, that's still alive that I can talk to uh, but uh, I enjoyed working with them. There's, there's, I've worked with uh, worked with so many people. Tony Joe White was a, a favorite. Um, you know, it's hard to say who's your favorite when you've when you've done it for fifty something years. It's just hard to pick. Yeah, oh, I, I, no doubt. Um, well, you were talking about those people, and it made me think. I have a record here that I bought not too long ago. It's called "This Is Fame," uh, vinyl album sixty four to sixty eight. And there's an artist on it called um, June Conquest. Now, I heard – did you play on the, her record? Yeah, I think I did. Uh, I think Spooner might have produced that. Yeah, the reason I'm asking is that in, in the in the flap of this record, it says that she uh, – uh, they were grooming her to be a big thing, and she just bowed out completely. Yeah, you know, it's, it's there's a lot of weird stories. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It, the ones that you, that you hear of – it's, it's it's such a rare thing for somebody to get famous. When you think about the thousands of people who are trying to be famous, and then only a few get a chance to be famous, and then some don't even want to do it once they get that that shot. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I just uh, you know listen uh, sing, and then I just recently enjoyed which is you introduced or to me without knowing it. I watched your uh, YouTube your birthday from last year. Um, uh, Jeannie Green, who I thought was really, really phenomenal. Oh yeah, she's great. Yeah, I've been watching. Uh, uh, I'm sitting here today uh, on a uh, watch on a uh, uh, Prime. You know what that is? Amazon Prime. Yes, sir. Mm-hmm. There's, a, there's, there's a thing about the Grateful Dead. Oh, wow. a long, long, strange trip, and it's about five <laughs> or six episodes. And uh, uh, Donna Thatcher, McKay, Godshaw. You know, she was part of the Grateful Dead, and so mm-hmm. she's in this. But she and and uh, Jeannie Green sang background for in our studio and a lot of other studios, and eventually they worked with Elvis. But Donna's figured really heavily in this this uh, movie. I guess it's a movie. It's a maybe documentary. <laughs> yeah, it's really good. I don't know if you've ever been in, into the Grateful Dead, but this is a real good one. Uh, yes, sir. But, and she she still lives here. She lives she lives here in town. Wow! But she and she and Jeannie were, were close friends and worked together quite a bit. Mhm. Well, that's cool. Yeah, I like that. Um, what was I going to say to you? I uh, I I'm 37, but I love I love to me the greatest music ever is 60s and 70s, and that molded everything I ever listened to in my life. So. I, if it's anything that has to do with that, I'm all about it. So I'll definitely have to check that out. Yeah. Um, what um, let's see. Uh, yeah, well, long strange too. I I just recently saw. Do you, do you ever uh, heard of John Mayer? Do you like John Mayer? 
Oh yeah, sure. Yeah, I like his guitar playing better better than his singing, but he's really good. <laughs> he does a thing with uh, a couple of the members of Grateful Dead called Dead Company. Have you ever seen them? Uh, I haven't seen them, but I'm 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 aware of that. Yeah, yeah, they're not too bad. Uh, yeah, he, you know, he, he's a he's a great guitar player. His yeah. his his singing, I'm not really that you know. After a little bit, I've had enough of it. But I love his guitar playing. <laughs> yeah, he he's got that sultry voice. He, I think he tries to appeal to the women. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm, I know he does. <laughs> yeah. Um, uh, something that intrigued me, and when I found out you played on it, I immediately bought the 45. Was uh, uh, take a letter to Maria, and uh, is it yeah. true? That, did you was that recorded the same day the Rolling Stones got there? Because that was a smash hit in its own right, wasn't it? Well, we were when the Rolling Stones came to our studio. We they worked at night. We were working with R.D. Grees, uh, the artist who did Take a Letter Maria, uh, during the day. Uh, it wasn't the same day, but that's kind of been the story that's gotten out. It's, it's you know a lot of these things they become legend, and you can't no matter even if you were there and know what, exactly what happened, you can't change anybody's mind once they get it in their mind what it is, but. Uh, we were working with R.B. Greaves, who was the artist on Take a Letter Maria, during the day while the Stones were recording at night. But I, I think Take a, Take a Letter Maria was recorded about a month or so earlier. Mm-hmm. Okay. But yeah. nobody, you know, nobody yeah. knows that but me. <laughs> <laughs> well, you, you're the one that matters. You was in there with him. I just, I heard that he was there during the day, and I was like, wow, recording hits like that during the day, smash in the day, and then a smash hit at night. How cool is that? Yeah, yeah, it is, that is cool. Yeah. And uh, it, it's close enough to be true anyway. Yeah. Well, I, I, just, I just, it was just intriguing to me. And then, of course, you know, I went in there, and I, they were kind enough to let me sit on that toilet that was right there in the middle of the studio, which I thought, thought was very unique in its own right. Yeah. Well, yeah. that building was not built to be a studio, and uh, uh-huh. it was a – I remember it as being a Venetian blind shop when I was growing up, and uh, but uh, the, the bathroom just happened was where it, where it where it happened to be, but uh, we used that bathroom as, <clears throat> excuse me as an isolation booth. We'd put a mm-hmm. guitar amp in there or a singer or somebody in there because the studio is so small. We needed places to put things, and so that turned out to be one of the places we would use to put a guitar or a singer or, or something in there. Uh, the story goes that uh, Keith Richards uh, finished uh, uh, Wild Horses Wild Horses in there. I'm, he may have. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. Uh, either way, it's just, I, I thought it was neat and going in there. Like you said, um, I, I I wasn't aware if it was anything else other than that studio. The the young man giving us the tour said it was a funeral home as well or a casket display company. Yeah, the the story is that it was a casket uh, factory. I think what they did, they stored, you know, the cemeteries across the street, and I think they stored some tools and things and maybe, maybe even some caskets and stuff in there, but I don't know if they actually made them there. Yeah, okay. But that's another one of those legends that – People latch onto it, and they're it's, it's cooler than the truth. <laughs> oh yeah, sure, sure thing. It's, yeah, and it seems like it's a lot of things in life that, that once they get embellished and shared around, they they just grow and grow. Yeah. Um, well, uh, recording back in the day, uh, let me, when you guys got into the studio, was it all just based on an idea, or were the songs already arranged? Like, did you have music in front of you, or did you make your bass parts up on the spot, like your your uh, lines and everything, your notes? 
Well, they would the songs we would learn then. You know, we would never have heard the songs before that people would come in and usually the producer or a songwriter or somebody would bring either a demo or a cassette or even come in and play it themselves on a guitar or something. And we'd learn it there on the spot. And then I was read music. So uh, uh, usually Barry, the keyboard player, would make a chord chart, a number chart, and we would all, we, we had a copy machine, so we'd make copies so we all had the same chart. And we got really good at doing that. Uh, Barry was a, made great charts, and we were got we were pretty good at reading them. And uh, so, but it was all happening right then. And the baseline, some of them I think of, some of them somebody would have an idea, some of them we just would work things out, and that's just what it would turn out to be. Uh, it wasn't nothing was ever planned ahead of time that much. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I just I, I was always curious because uh, you know the astronomical amount of amazing music you played in the lifetime. I've, and you know, of course, watching you know Aretha uh, talk about what she said was a head session, and I was just like, well, was any of it ever prearranged? Because you know, it seems like like in Nashville with you know country music and the number system, it seems like before they even get in the studio, it's already mapped out every crash boom well, and everything. Yeah, it was none of our stuff was really planned out that much ahead of time. And, and uh-huh. the, the songwriter or the artist or the producer, somebody might have had an idea what to do. But when we got in there, things would change. And 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 uh, like uh, "Respect Yourself" by the Staple Singers, the uh-huh. guy Mike Rice who wrote that, who also happened to write "Mustang Sally," he when we when he heard what we were doing with it, he he hated it. Because he thought it was we were doing it the wrong tempo or the wrong something, but it was a hit, so I guess we were right. But uh, you know, it's, it things happen when you get a bunch of musicians together uh, and you try things, and whatever feels and sounds the best at that moment is what it would turn out to be. Uh-huh. And so, a lot of times, it was none of that was planned. It was just uh, it just happened. Yeah. <laughs> Oh, to me, that's the best way to be. But you know, with, with today, it just seems like, like I said, from from you know what I've learned and studied with people, it, it all seems like it's already mapped out and you know charts and everything. But to me, as a player, I am I'm more of a let's do it organically and pitch around ideas versus hand me a chart and let me you know read it and just play along with it. Yeah, your uh, your voice is breaking up quite a bit. I don't know if it's affecting what you're recording or not, but. Okay. Through the phone, well, it's, it's going to... Uh, <laughs> oh, well, I apologize. Let's see if I can move it around a little bit. Uh, how about that? Is it a little bit better? Well, it's about the same, it's, it's, but it's okay. All right. I apologize. Well, I, well, I just have one more question. I'll let you go. Uh, the main thing I was... Uh, uh, well, I wanted to get back to the Aretha reference, but um, after, you know, the one session she had at Fame and then uh, Rick Hall went over there and fought her husband and uh, uh, Wexler... Uh, invited you guys to New York to record with her. How did Rick Hall feel about that when his his ace group of well, players? Let, yeah. Well, he didn't like it. Uh, but uh, when when they when they uh, when when he talk, got everybody to come, gosh damn, I can't get away from this damn phone. Uh, <laughs> let me see if I can go in here. Uh, he he didn't bring me up there at first. 
when because uh, uh, I was not I was playing a trombone on on the session in muscle shows, and so I didn't get a chance to play bass with Aretha till about two years later. So when they first went up there, I didn't get to go, uh, and and Rick was not happy about that. He he was really upset that uh, they went up there, but you know it all it all worked out. Yeah, and it worked it worked out for the better too. Uh, in, in the movie, it kind of makes a big deal out of us leaving, and it was a big deal. But uh, we became friends again within a couple of years and worked together again. So it was really better that we left because then we got to do, you know, he had his hits and we had our hits. And so it made the place, made Muscle Shoals twice as strong. Oh, indeed. It sure did. Yep. I agree with you 100%. Uh, it, it did it for the best. And there was a lot of extra music that may not have been made had it been, you know, for everybody kind of doing their own thing. Right. Because I, I remember, you know, you guys had Leonard Skinner in there, and, and Rick said, you know, he, he didn't get on the wagon with with uh, Southern Rock. No, he didn't. So, I mean, you know, he he let he let Dwayne Allman go because he didn't know what to do with him, and yeah. that was the, that was that was the better thing since he didn't know what to do with him. Let him go where somebody does know what to do with him. Yeah, he, uh, in his short life, boy, he sure did a lot of great things. <laughs> boy, he sure did. Yeah. Our next guest on the Uncharted podcast is Zach Strum. It's really awesome speaking to this young fellow. He is an actor, director, musician. He dabbles in a lot of stuff, and he's awesome at all of it. He got to play the legendary bass player from Muscle Shoals, The Swampers. He got to play David Hood in the Aretha Franklin biopic Respect that's coming out uh, in early 2021. Talked about his experiences with that, meeting David Hood, and a whole bunch of other cool stuff he's got going on. And that's next on the Josh Belcher Uncharted Podcast. Check out Zach Strum on Instagram. He is truly a young fellow that is going places. All right, let's continue with the interview. Zach, first of all, man, thank you for taking the time to speak with me. Um, Thank you for having me. Hey, absolutely. Being a guy, I live an hour and about 20 minutes away from Muscle Shoals where all this magic was made. And I've known about it since before this movie was was breathed into life. And now that it's here, you know, I just can't wait to watch it. And then, uh, you know, getting to talk to people that have portrayed people that I've met who are my heroes. And you got to play, uh, to me, one of the baddest bass players that ever walked the earth, uh, David Hood. Let's kick it off with um, what was your what was your experience portraying him, and how did you land this gig for this uh, respect Aretha Franklin biopic that's probably going to take the world by storm here in a couple of months? Dude, I totally agree with you in him being the baddest bass player in the world. He totally is. Um, I didn't really know much about him specifically. I knew about Muscle Shoals um, and fame. The the studio there, but I didn't know who the players were, uh, which is kind of embarrassing because I I also grew up playing music as well, so and not just acting. Mm-hmm. But uh, so when I got this audition, I was kind of confused because I thought David Hood was just a bass player, and I was auditioning for a trombone player, mm-hmm. and. I found out that in that first recording session with Aretha Franklin, he played trombone. Really? 
Yeah, they had bought they had brought in uh, Tommy Cogbill, I think is his name. Yeah, to that's play, right. To play bass on that first album, and um, I can't remember exactly why, mm-hmm. because David Hood ended up playing bass on a lot of her subsequent albums. Yeah. But uh, he was a trombone player as well, and he doesn't really like talk much about it. But uh, I had grown up in school playing trombone, and this was kind of like a cool, you know, it's something I don't do too often anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, I usually play drums, but uh-huh. every now and then I'm able to pull out the trombone, and this was like an audition for a trombone part. And I was like, oh, perfect. I, and I got it through, I have an agent. I live in North Carolina. I have an agent in Greensboro. Cool. And uh, I got the audition in September of last year and did not hear back until December. So I didn't know. <laughs> I was I was kind of bummed because it was the it was the coolest audition I think I've ever gotten. You know, uh-huh. um, and as soon as I was doing the research and digging into David Hood and like realized just what he's played on, <laughs> almost like everything. Yeah. Um, I was so inspired, man, and I stayed up all night, and I did the audition, and I thought, you know, after not hearing back for a couple months, I thought that was it. I didn't get it, and I was so bummed, yeah. um, and then I I couldn't describe how elated I was when I got the phone call and how humbling and surreal that entire experience was because yeah, it is the coolest thing I've ever been a part of, and the feeling on set, and uh, I mean... I met him. I met David Hood on set wow. with his wife, and he was there with uh, Spooner, uh-huh. and uh, I was definitely nervous. I mean, it was just it's it's so weird to be like, well, who am I to play this musical legend who uh, really resonated with me because I played up or I grew up playing um, drums with like friends that I'd known since childhood, yeah. and the way that they described like that whole, you know, in the Muscle Shoals documentary where they're, like, talking. They're just, like, dudes. And, yeah. uh, like, David and Roger and, and Spooner. And it sounded like they just got together and made music. And there was nothing to it other than that. Like, they were, they just jammed. And uh, that's kind of, like, the feeling I had growing up with my friends. We, would, you know, had a shed out behind my parents' house, and we would just get together and play music. You know, and if it felt good, it was good. We weren't, like, technically uh you know we didn't we didn't study it or we didn't go too much into like music theory but we like you know we just felt it out and it seemed like those dudes kind of had that it was just like magic they came together and it worked and uh and that really resonated with me and it felt like um i don't know kind of like cathartic to to like be able to merge that world with the acting world uh-huh. which is something, as acting is something I've been pursuing more than music. But to be able to, like, still, you know, to play a musician or still have music uh, be a part of it is really pretty powerful. And, like, Aretha Franklin is, like, oh, this is a legend, you know? I mean, yeah. all those guys were legends. Yeah, the Queen so, of Soul, the Queen of Soul acknowledged, uh, actually. You know, that's, that's a huge, huge thing. Yeah. Um, super cool. Yeah, the way you described it, though, is perfect because, you know, talking to the guys, uh, some of the Swampers, and, and that's how I actually discovered them. I, I knew there was a lot, you know, like living close to Nashville as I do, I'm accustomed to music, and I play drums as well, so I'm all about cool. uh, rocking the kit there. And, um, yeah, you know, I knew Muscle Shoals, you know, uh, 
was known for a lot of music, but, you know, same scenario, didn't know the players, and then this documentary comes out, and I just get obsessed with it, and I'm like, oh, my gosh, and they're talking like, okay, these young kids get together, and, you know, and they, um, and, and from, you know, speaking with David, it wasn't like, you know, how in Nashville, what I'm accustomed to, to knowing about is they'll get in, and you'll have charts and a number system, and, you know, eight times out of ten, maybe the artist is not there, and you're just playing the music, but yeah. all these guys got together with the artist, and had sessions and would like, you know, pitch ideas around and just make these smash hits just organically. Like stuff like that doesn't even happen anymore. Yeah, I know. It's like really, uh, it's really rare. Yeah, because the guys in Nashville, they just go in and they're like virtuosos, you know, and they'll play it all in, in one take and then and then that's it. But uh, <laughs> there's, there's something, I mean, those guys are great, but but there's also something about like feeling it out with uh-huh. people in the same room. And uh, and that was cool too because they recreated um, they recreated the famed studio, yeah. And uh, and we were on it and it, and if you know it felt like we were really in there. It was cool. It was really yeah. cool. I uh, spoke with Rodney Hall, Rick Hall's um, son, not too long ago, which was played by Mike Watford, who's a superhuman, uh, I think. Uh, yeah, just really He's nice great. guy. And and Rodney went in and said that it it, it is it was pretty spot on to the the studio uh, A and B there in uh, Muscle Shoals. So I was like, man, I just can't wait to see it because I've taken the tour a dozen times and you know oh, yeah. it's very intricate. So yeah, have you been to Fame and been inside? I have not, man. It's on uh, my list now of things to do. Yeah, that and obviously Muscle Shoals Sound, which is David's wife, is like the main curator of keeping keeping it afloat you know as far as like people that go tour it and everything but um yeah when you get into there um you just you feel it it's like there's a a palpable energy that like you just runs through your body like you tell you can tell something crazy happened there and it's just it's kind of overwhelming and then if you get That's the cool. right, if, yeah, if you get the right tour guide and they take you in there where the actual console is and everything, and they play music over the speakers, like me, I'm I started crying. <laughs> oh yeah, wow. yeah, it just, I just look like a gigantic, Powerful. you know, baby. I was like, I just couldn't help it though; it just flowed out of me. But um, I'm just excited that you know this story is getting brought to life because it's such a great story. You know, Aretha, she'd been singing, had like four albums with no hits, and then she goes to this little town of of nothing. Because back then, you can, I've never, I didn't see it before it became like a little area with, you know, various businesses. But imagine, you know, you land, there's like a couple of restaurants and gas stations and like oh, a yeah. water tower. And and they make music and, and then, you know, then they fly the Swampers out to New York and they, they just, it's just great. I just cannot wait. And it's just history, man. It's, yeah. It's it great. I love that story. I'm glad that they, uh, that that is a part of the movie, you know. It's. I think it's powerful when she goes in there and nobody knows what's gonna happen. It just like yeah. legendary songs came out. Yeah, it's songs it's, that it's we still so listen awesome. to. You know. Yeah. No. Yeah. Songs to this day. I mean, any almost any time you listen to a classic rock station or, or anything like a, a varietal station, you know, you hear a hit song and you're like, you know, that was recorded, you know, in a little place in Alabama, and you're like, oh, right on. <laughs> But let's get uh, – I want to get to the meat of some stuff. I noticed that you uh, you are so, you know, a uh, director. Like you're directing some pretty intricate and awesome things like music videos and stuff. Is that is that oh, the main you. focus for you? Are you a director first and actor, or what comes first in your life? 
Well, that's what I studied in school was directing. Uh, I went to school in in North Carolina, and cool. um, but it was at the same time I was acting in Friends projects, and uh, and acting sort of became more of a. I don't know. I found myself doing more acting than directing. Not not because I like it more, but just because it seemed uh, easier. So it, it to act in something means you just you know go do some rehearsals, you shoot it, and then you're done. You know. But as a director, you're there from like the beginning, and you carry it all the way to the end. It's a very long, stressful process. Um, one of the hardest jobs I think on set, but. Uh, so I've been trying to like do a little bit, you know, as much as I can. And in the past year, uh, I've had, you know, some success with acting and getting a couple like being in a couple cool movies and uh, like bigger ones through my agent, you know, which is new for me. Like mm-hmm. this is I'd only had an agent not even a, uh, I guess not even two years before I got like um, this role in Respect, which is really exciting. Yes, for me. Cool. Yeah, but as a director, I'm still trying to, you know, here and there I do like music videos, and and trying to to keep those the three things, you know, acting, directing, and music, in my life as much as possible. And if I could make it work, you know, my entire life, I would be incredibly happy. But it, it is interesting that, like, you know, as soon as, because I, I had like a brief stint playing drums on a cruise ship when nice. I first graduated from school so it's yeah. like if if there's ever a time where like i'm not playing music music always finds a way back into my life somehow yeah, sure. you know um or you know acting or directing but uh i would love to eventually one day be able to direct and and have that as like my main thing but uh-huh. I'm a, i mean they all kind of work together so if i can do whatever i can you know, yeah. to make them all work. That's what I'm. I'm gonna move to LA here at some point. I was hoping to be there by now, but uh, when COVID happened, it really like set me back a few yeah. months. So I'm kind of okay. waiting to see how that ends. And I think the industry is getting back, which is cool. That uh, respect was wrapped just like weeks before this yeah, happened. That's great. It's a good thing. And yeah, and I I guess it's gonna come out in time, which will be cool. Because, you know, everybody's having to push their dates back, and it's kind of a mess. Yeah, it's uh, it's unfortunate. This this whole planet is upside down. It's so sad. I was talking to a friend of mine. The last concert I saw seems like forever ago. And, you know, being here, that's like one of the main things to do, and it's just it, – there's nothing. It's like go to work, you know, put a mask on, come <laughs> yeah. home, stay in your room. <laughs> I know. It's terrible. I've talked to a lot of my musician friends who just hate the live streaming thing because it's – nothing like being in a room with an audience. Yeah. And and that is the one thing I think I've missed the most during this time is uh not being able to go to a concert. I mean, yeah. people experiencing live music together is is a pretty powerful feeling that Yes, absolutely. Uh, we're all Na- missing. <laughs> in Nashville we just got which is I think it's a franchise and it may not be. I know there's a couple of them, but we just got a Brooklyn Bowl. Are you familiar with with what that is? Oh yeah, I've been to one. That's like yeah. a bowling alley with a music video. Yeah, exactly. And nobody's been in it yet. <laughs> oh, man, I have mean, they opened anything up in Nashville? They, they are, but it's so 
you know, they open and then they close. And then right now, everybody's afraid to go to Broadway because, like, if you don't have a – see, our mayor of, of Nashville is, like, trying to find a way to, to raise some money, like major amounts for all this, you know, the everything being shut down. So, like, if you yeah. don't have a mask on, like, I think it's an automatic fine. I think oh, it's really? Like 15 or well, 20 bucks. So a lot of people were just, like, afraid to – mingle it's 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 pretty much hit or miss like sometimes you'll see a, a big gathering or, or a guest show and sometimes you don't see much of anything so wow yeah it's just yeah i know it seems like um it, the moment it seems like things are getting better it takes a turn so yeah i'm trying to i'm trying to be as safe as possible that's the only way to be because i mean this this virus is no joke i mean if it latches onto you you, you know it's, it, even if you do come out the other side you're really sick for you know a good while so yeah yeah i've i've had one friend get it and it's not good yeah that's crazy what um let's see i don't want to talk about bad stuff <laughs> that makes me so sad have you ever yeah. did you, have you or ever participated in the nashville film festival that was going to be something i wanted to ask you no i haven't i um because I do make like a lot of films and submit them to festivals. The uh-huh. I don't know if I've ever submitted anything to Nashville, but yeah. there is a festival because a lot of, of the stuff I've been doing in the past few years has been experimental. And, and I submitted to Defy Film Festival, which is a small kind of avant-garde film festival there in Nashville. And I got in a couple years ago, but I wasn't able to make it. And I got another music video in this year and i was hoping to go this would be the year that i could make it but uh they're gonna do it online so yeah, yeah. i'm gonna be promoting uh, that in september but uh i wish i could go i do enjoy nashville yeah i've been there a couple times yeah it's a fun spot um and, and one thing i'm so are you born and raised in north carolina yes sir okay your accent is not robust mine comes out every now and, yeah. and again but did you did you get trained to like hide yours or does it come out in certain situations? Well, you know, it's interesting. There's never, I don't ever remember being told to hide it, yeah. but I remember growing up, um, my parents are from the mountains. So they kind of had, they have a heavier, uh, like Appalachian dialect. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. Um, but it's like a, just a little bit, you know, in certain in certain words, it comes down. Sometimes that happens to me, and if I'm around people who have like a heavy draw, I'll, uh, I kind of like, I'll, you know, I'll loosen up and have it. But, but I don't really. I guess I never really thought about why. It, but I think it is kind of a choice, right? You can either have an accent or not. Yeah, I, just I went for I, neutral. Yeah, when I, when I said hide, I didn't necessarily mean hide it, but like. You know how like Mel Gibson is all the way Australian, but yet you know when he's acting or talking to people, he he sounds like a guy from right around the corner. Yeah, true. Yeah, like Reese, like Reese Witherspoon. I mean, she she grew up uh, in Franklin Road, like a couple of miles from where I did, and, and she's as southern as it gets. But like when she's acting and stuff, like you can't tell with her voice. <laughs> right. Right. Was, know, you know. I guess that that is the thing as an actor you have to be able to you have to be malleable and be able to you know yeah to change for whatever project you know but yeah. some guys rock it you know Matthew McConaughey I feel like he's always got his like Texan yeah him uh 
Billy Bob Thornton. Leslie Jordan's got a thick one. He lives. He's from Chattanooga, Tennessee. Uh, he's like an Instagram favorite right now. Uh, oh yeah, yeah. I was following him for a second. <laughs> yeah. He's hilarious, man. He is so yeah. He's so funny. Um, yeah. The uh, and I saw this on your Instagram, which really intrigued me. The uh, the pick and the story of the fifty year old Kodak can. Uh, is there any oh, dude on that? What's going on with that? Um, I sent it off. What happens is uh, when you have film that's that old, I really love, I like geek out over that stuff. Um, I sent it to Film Rescue, which is, they're kind of like specialists, but because it's such a uh, unique case, they do it, they do like once or twice a month uh, like they take in all their orders for like a month and then they'll do it and it takes a long time to get back. It takes like a few months. It's like a yeah. slow process. Um, and I mean, film just in general takes like a little bit of time because it's not a you know, it's uh, it's kind of like a dying art now that we have digital. Uh-huh. Um, but the process of recovering like the old film and hopefully there's something on it. I won't know until. I hear back from them when they're done, but it'll take uh, it'll take another month or two to hear back, and I'll I'll post about it when I do because it's it'll be really exciting. That's but, very exciting. Yeah, you're right. Um, film man. Yeah, hopefully there's something cool on there. And that wraps up this week's Uncharted podcast. Awesome interviews all around. Bassist extraordinaire, Mr. David Hood. Director, actor, musician, Zach Strom. Fantastic interviews. Thank those guys for their time lending their talents. Also, I'd like to take this time to thank you, the listener, because I can't do this without you. Be no point. Just be gasping to myself and the people I'm interviewing. So I appreciate it from the bottom of my heart for you listening. Uh, if you like it, share it with your friends sometime. You know, it didn't hurt. Uh, I like company. Uh, when it comes to podcasting, um, just thank you for taking the time. Um, I'd also like to say, if you know anybody you think would be an awesome guest to be on this bad boy, hit me up, Josh Belcher at hotmail.com. And remember, always and forever, I love you specifically for you and where you're at in this point in life. And I appreciate you. I want you to have a great week. And I will catch you on Sunday, Sunday fun day as always, later on down the line. This is Josh Belcher saying peace out, Cub Scout, Girl Girl Scout, uh, without a doubt. Been really tongue twisted this week. But anyway, thank you for everything. All right, we'll catch you next time. Bye.